Thanks for tuning in. One of the things that makes a program like Outcasting possible is financial support from listeners like you. Please visit us at outcastingmedia.org and click on support to make your tax-deductible contribution. Thanks. Yes, religion is an important value. It's a core American value. It's protected by the Constitution, but it has never meant a free pass to harm other people. And equality is a core value. If we allow religion to be used as an excuse for discrimination, we will have eroded a core protection that all of us need. This is Outcasting, Public Radio's LGBTQ youth program, where you don't have to be queer to be here. Outcasting is produced in New York by Media for the Public Good, online at outcastingmedia.org. Hi, I'm Chris. This is the ninth part of our in-depth conversation with Jennifer C. Pizer, a civil rights attorney at Lambda Legal, about how claims of religious liberty are being weaponized to justify discrimination against LGBTQ people. If you've missed any of the series, you can listen on our website, outcastingmedia.org. The interviews that make up this series were recorded in August and September 2020, when the Trump administration was still in power and before the death last fall of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a liberal, and her rapid replacement by Amy Coney Barrett, a self-described religious conservative. This change shifted the court to the right, increasing the power of justices who believe in an expansive view of religious liberty, even when that harms other people. This expanded conservative majority on the Supreme Court isn't likely to have a positive effect on the continuing fight for LGBTQ equality. In the previous part of this series, Jenny and Outcaster Lucas talked about the Supreme Court's reasoning in its recent religious liberty cases, and how religious rights interact with the equality rights of others, including LGBTQ people. They talked about the Masterpiece Cake Shop case, which involved a baker who asserted his religious liberty rights in refusing to provide a cake for the wedding of a same-sex couple. Of course, the refusal of a baker or a florist to provide service for a same-sex wedding is demeaning, but it's of relatively low impact. But it's easy to imagine that the stakes could be much higher when it's a doctor or a hospital or even a tow truck driver who is asserting a religious liberty claim to justify denying service to LGBTQ people. It could even mean the difference between life and death. Jenny and Lucas also talked about the Equality Act, which has passed the House of Representatives but has an uncertain future in the Senate. The act would provide explicit civil rights protections for LGBTQ people at the federal level, protections that, contrary to the beliefs of many, we don't currently have. That's where we pick up the conversation. Welcome back to Outcasting, Jenny. Lucas, it's a pleasure. So good to be with you. Let's turn now to how the state of the law is evolving. The First Amendment is commonly understood to provide for a wall between church and state. Is that wall being lowered? Well, from our perspective, it definitely is, and it's a cause for a lot of concern. The wall of separation that we refer to is generally a product of the Establishment Clause. The Establishment Clause says that no particular religion should be established, in other words, made to be primary over other religions or over no religion, that the government is not in the business of religion. Religion should be protected from government, and government should be protected from religion. But in recent times, the Supreme Court has again and again allowed for a greater entwining, if you will, of government and religion. The Supreme Court has allowed public money to go to faith-based organizations and then has recognized interests of those organizations to do business according to their religious tenets. 
The Trump administration in particular has quite systematically changed the regulations, or at least has attempted to change the regulations, to allow faith-based organizations to receive public money and then do business the way they wish, and the beneficiaries of public programs can then be put to the challenge of either accepting the needed services in a religious context or finding some other place to get the services to which they're supposed to be entitled. So it's a real problem. At Lambda Legal, we have been involved in multiple lawsuits and other efforts to push back at the attempt to allow religion to dominate, especially in public programs. Another area where we see the wall of separation seeming to crumble a bit is public money going into private hands, say for school vouchers or a choice of place to get public services, based on the idea that an individual family maybe should get that public money and then be able to choose to spend it at a religious school. Well, that still ends up being taxpayer money paying for religious education in a religious environment. A few generations ago, the Supreme Court would not have okayed that kind of a plan. So we've definitely had a shift where rights of free exercise of religion have been seen quite favorably by the Supreme Court in recent times. And the Establishment Clause, regrettably, seems to be a bit weaker. Now, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know what future court decisions will say, but it's an area of serious concern. And following that line of thinking, there seems to be a lot of people pushing for the U.S. to become more religious-based. Some say that it should be a Christian theocracy. What successes have they seen, and what opposition? Yes, I'm afraid that's true. Certainly people are saying that, but they're saying that based on what they're observing. It's been particularly dramatic during the Trump administration years, where a number of the people put in the highest leadership roles, heading agencies have brought with them a very conservative religious agenda. One example is the head of the Office for Civil Rights at the Department of Health and Human Services, who came from the Heritage Foundation with a personal docket of working to expand religious rights. And among the things that that agency then did was issue proposed rules to allow the religious interests of healthcare workers and healthcare providers, institutions, to be elevated above the interests and the medical needs of patients. That was a set of proposals that we found very alarming. That's, of course, partly because we have major health providers in this country that are religiously affiliated and that object to providing certain types of care and sometimes also object to serving certain types of people. Lambda Legal, together with good friends at the Center for Reproductive Rights, sued the Trump administration when those rules were issued. And I'm very relieved and gratified to be able to say that we have a court order blocking those rules, but that litigation is ongoing. This administration has pushed to defend that type of elevation of religious rights over other people's needs in the context of healthcare, which is a particularly concerning area of services. But there are many other examples. This administration has issued rules to allow faith-based child welfare agencies to discriminate against LGBT adults and people of other faiths who want to take care of children. We've seen similar proposed rules to lift the non-discrimination requirements that have been attached to federal money. 
that's particularly concerning when that money has been designated to provide services that people need, disaster relief services, drug addiction and anti-violence counseling programs, housing programs, or other services for people that are homeless. There's a range of social services and health programs that are paid for by all of our tax dollars where faith-based agencies have more and more come to receive those public contracts and provide those services. And it has been a core part of those programs, the faith-based initiative, the faith-based programs to have non-discrimination rules. And this administration has very systematically worked to lift those non-discrimination rules. And from the Supreme Court, we've seen a number of recent decisions that really give us not just pause, but alarm. One of the examples is the case, the name of the case is Our Lady of Guadalupe. This was about Catholic schools and whether Catholic schools have a religious right to fire teachers, not based on failing to follow the religious tenets, but really for any reason that they like, despite federal rules that prohibit discrimination, for example, based on disability or age or other personal characteristics where there's no religious reason to justify, as in one of the cases, a school that fired a woman because she needed treatment for cancer. The federal disability non-discrimination law is there to protect people against that type of treatment. And the Supreme Court said, well, it's a Catholic school. They are entitled to treat all of their teachers as ministers because teachers sometimes have some religious responsibility for teaching some amount of religion regardless of what the teacher's actual role may be. And the Supreme Court dramatically expanded that right of religiously affiliated schools. It's something that we were very worried about. And in fact, what the Supreme Court did was quite alarming. Now, it could have been broader. It could have been worse. The court left for a future day whether faith-based social service agencies have a similar right to include some amount of religious function in the duties of all their employees, and in so doing, turn them all into ministers and then have a constitutional right to fire them whenever they please, regardless of federal civil rights protections that should be in place. So there has been a trend, and it's been a worrisome trend. Many of us have been fighting back against it, and we should take heart from the fact that Opinion polling tells us the American public does not support efforts to turn America into a Christian theocracy. That is really not what the American public wants. But the question is whether we now have a Supreme Court and lower federal courts that have been made much more conservative by the appointment of judges and justices by the Trump-Pence administration where the court is out of step, is much more conservative and in favor of broad religious rights, broader religious rights, in a way that is out of step with the general public, but where the courts have the power to render that type of decision in ways that can dramatically change the nature of our society. You mentioned child welfare agencies. When faith-based agencies like adoption agencies have excluded same-sex couples as potential parents, that can be seen as putting a limitation on a right we've already won, marriage equality. What are other examples of how rights we've already won can be chipped away? Well, any of the rights that we've won, whether it's to have the government treat us equally with respect to a marriage license, 
or employment rights to be treated equally in public employment or private employment because of the federal employment non-discrimination law. Any of those rights can be carved away if religious rights to discriminate are expanded. And that may be a matter for Congress. It may also be a matter for the Supreme Court. So when we consider these two competing bills in Congress, the Equality Act and the Fairness for All Act, well, one of the important differences between those two bills is the fact that the Fairness for All Act allows a lot more discrimination based on religion. That bill allows faith-based institutions to engage in discrimination in a range of ways that commercial businesses may not be allowed to do, but it would deprive lots of people of equal employment opportunities, including when there's public money involved. That to us is, is a real problem. In the big picture, it's on all of us to engage in conversation with the people in our lives, in, in a broad public conversation, to reinforce the basic principle that we all have freedom to exercise religion, freedom to believe as we believe, but that those freedoms stop when somebody else would be harmed. And there's nothing new about that basic principle. It just needs to apply the same way when we're talking about LGBTQ people as it has applied in past contexts when the religious motive was to justify sex discrimination or discrimination by one religion against another religion in commercial spaces or religious reasons for racial segregation. We've seen this before repeatedly, generation after generation, as new equality issues were presented. And we've come to the conclusion that equality in public spaces is very important. And there's greater freedom to exclude people and to create social groups of affinity when it's not in a commercial context or a public accommodation context. Again, these are not new principles. They just need to apply the same way to the current question of same-sex couples or LGBTQ uh, individuals. This is Outcasting, Public Radio's LGBTQ youth program, produced in New York by Media for the Public Good, online at outcastingmedia.org. We're talking about what happens when people claim that their religious liberty entitles them to discriminate against LGBTQ people in ways that wouldn't be acceptable if the discrimination were against other minorities. Speaking with Outcaster Lucas is our guest, Jenny Pizer, the Senior Counsel and Director of Law and Policy for Lambda Legal, the country's oldest and largest legal organization seeking full recognition of the civil rights of LGBT people and everyone living with HIV. We talked earlier about impact litigation and about the anti-discrimination laws on the state, county, and local levels. Can impact litigation intended to permit anti-LGBT discrimination based on religious liberty endanger those laws? Unfortunately, the answer is absolutely yes. At Lambda Legal, and, and impact litigation is a core part of our work and has been now for getting on almost 50 years. We sometimes feel like our opponents are engaging in, to use the, the old phrase, the sincerest form of flattery, that being imitation. Some of the cases that we're dealing with now are brought by people who want to discriminate, uh, whether it's the baker or the florist or people running certain institutions like Catholic Social Services. They want the freedom to discriminate. They want to ignore non-discrimination laws, and they bring cases proactively, whether it's against 
same-sex couples who were seeking to be treated equally or against government like the city of Philadelphia that wanted to to have non-discrimination terms in its public contracts. And we find ourselves at that point standing with government saying these civil rights laws are a bedrock part of our modern society. They need to be enforceable. And if rights of religious freedom or free speech are expanded inappropriately, then as a practical matter, those civil rights laws become meaningless. And again, these are not new questions. The question is whether the courts have become so much more conservative that those old familiar questions get new unfortunate answers that bless discrimination in the name of religion or free speech. How can you fight against this type of thing when the opposition keeps wanting to relitigate it? It seems that it must be very difficult and frustrating. Well, you know, at Lambda Legal, we sometimes say, you know, we're here to do the work until it's no longer needed. And I wish I could say that I thought we were almost there, but obviously that's not the case. The attacks or the, the, the legal arguments and the tactics do change from time to time. Right now, we continue to see efforts to use religion as a vehicle for discrimination, but we also see some newer attacks against transgender people. These arguments that aim to cause fear in the minds of people who don't happen to have trans folks in their lives and for whom the concept of gender identity is confusing and to present transgender people as a public threat, whether it's in public spaces like restrooms or whether it's different types of, of school programs. And it's calling on us to explain that, you know, even those attempts to demonize people are unfortunately not not new. Some decades ago, there were efforts to portray gay men as sexual predators in ways that were just fiction, but they were really harmful, damaging fictions. And we're seeing that tactic use again, targeting transgender folks now. That may be among the main arguments that we see against the Equality Act. And it's on all of us to engage in the public conversation. If we hear people thinking those arguments seem to make sense, again, because they don't know any transgender folks, or maybe because they start from a place of respecting religious freedom and thinking that it seems reasonable that, oh, well, religious liberty, that's an important American value. And so maybe these religion claims are correct. It's on all of us to then say, yes, religion is an important value. It's a core American value. It's protected by the Constitution, but it has never meant a free pass to harm other people. And equality is a core value. Sex discrimination has been a problem. We need to object to sex discrimination regardless of who the target of that may be. Having transgender folks be targeted this way publicly, as, as the Trump administration has done systematically for almost four years now, calls on all of us, when we hear that, when we see that, to point out that that's, that that's mistaken, that's wrong. And if we allow religion to be used as an excuse for discrimination, it may be same-sex couples who are the target today. Tomorrow it'll be somebody, somebody else will be the target. We will have eroded a core protection that all of us need, whether it's that religion not be used to excuse discrimination or free speech not to be used that way, or other tactics that may be used to strip away or carve holes in civil rights protections. If that happens, and especially if it's based on the Constitution, then those protections will not be there for anybody. And that would mean our country would be really turning backward, and we must not let that happen. 
Historically and even currently, some elements of religion have been hostile to LGBTQ people in the concept of LGBTQ equality. As we've made gains in equality, a lot of people are accusing advocates of LGBTQ equality of being, quote, anti-Christian and portraying themselves as victims of persecution. Is that a valid characterization? We do hear people saying that, and it is absolutely not true. It is not true. As we've worked really hard now for decades, actually for generations, to bring LGBTQ people out of the shadows, for all of us to be able to come out and be treated fairly and participate in society, those who object on religious grounds have made their arguments that they are absolutely protected and and free to do. But then it's up to the courts and legislatures and the court of public opinion to recognize that we're just making equality claims. We're not trying to have more rights than anybody else. We just are asking for the same rights that everybody else has. And if there are religious reasons for objecting that those beliefs are protected, but not the conduct. So it doesn't matter which faith tradition might be the source of the objection, and certainly there are very conservative religious beliefs that are part of many faith traditions, and there also are more contemporary religious beliefs in all these different faiths that recognize that LGBTQ people, we've, we've always been there. We're just as much part of the community and families as anybody else, and that the religious views that have condemned us in the past were based on people not understanding that. And as the modern understanding has evolved, the religious beliefs in many congregations, in many faith traditions, likewise have evolved. So there's a lot of religious support, of faith community support, welcoming support for LGBTQ people. We just need to make that a bit more visible. Sometimes the very conservative, in fact, the reactionary religious voices speak more loudly and get a lot of attention. Sometimes they get attention because controversy and contentiousness gets attention. It does not mean that that's a majority view. It certainly doesn't mean that all all people who identify as Christian hold those views. That, that is certainly not the case. I think sometimes people can feel themselves to be losing rights if they're losing the right to discriminate, if they're losing the right to feel superior and act superior, actually what's just happening is there's more equality that everybody has, not that anybody is supposed to have superior rights. And it's certainly not making anybody a victim to require that they stop victimizing others. None of us have a right to victimize anybody else, to, to mistreat anybody else, certainly not in the public sphere that's regulated to protect everybody from harm by anybody else. The rules have to be the same and apply to everybody the same way, without special exceptions that allow anybody to be mistreated. I should point out that our current laws do require considerable accommodation and special treatment for religion. For example, the Federal Employment Non-Discrimination Law requires that employers provide certain accommodations for employees who have religious needs. That may be a freedom to wear some religiously important garb, a head covering, something of that sort, or to sometimes to adjust schedules if somebody has a Sabbath requirement that's different from what many people celebrate. But the rule does not require harm to other people, and it requires that burdens on the employer be fair and reasonable and not 
undue, not too heavy on employers either. So there's a balancing of interests that does create extra freedom for religion, but not at other people's expense. That's the key idea here. Again, it's not a new idea, but it's a very important idea. And people who want more than that in the name of religion are not being victimized if they are told no, the same rights are going to apply to everybody equally and fairly. It's not victimization to be told that you're going to have the same rights as everybody else. So again, the Equality Act is key. If it is enacted, could it be challenged in court? Yes, when laws are passed, they can always be challenged. And certainly that could well happen. Our hope, of course, would be that through the process of having Congress consider and pass that bill and a president sign it, that there would be broad public recognition and support for that law and that legal arguments challenging it would not get very far. The bill has been written, and I was proud to play a part in putting that bill together in its original version, and it has been quite stable. The legislative language has been quite stable in the couple of times that it's been considered by Congress. It's well put together. It's sensible. It's sound. In fact, it doesn't really change the framework that we have had in place for federal civil rights legislation going back more than 50 years. That's part of the original concept of that bill, is to fill in some gaps to add protection against sex discrimination, for example, in public accommodations. That was something for which there was not congressional support back in the 60s, but over the decades since, it's come to be recognized that there should be equal treatment by by business establishments, by places of public accommodation. So some of the updates that that bill will do are, are really overdue, including the protection for LGBT people. Public opinion research for quite a long time has showed that there is beyond majoritarian support in this country for those protections. In fact, majorities of Americans who respond to these surveys think those protections are already clearly established in the law. Well, now that the Supreme Court has agreed with us in the Bostock case, there is considerable protection in federal law but it's incomplete. It needs to be updated. So we have a lot of confidence that when that bill does go through and become law, it will have public support because it already has public support. And if there's litigation challenging it, well, it will be on our shoulders at Lambda Legal and other organizations to help make sure that litigation is well handled and that the courts have good briefing, a good opportunity to hear the arguments. And in our view, the law should be upheld. But this is a reminder why it's so important whoever is in the White House gets to nominate federal judges. President Trump at this point has nominated and the Senate has confirmed more than 200 lifetime appointees to the federal bench and two members to the Supreme Court. And the people that hold those roles, if they have very, very conservative jurisprudential approaches, that can mean that sound laws don't necessarily get a fair hearing when they're being litigated in court. So it is really important who's making those appointments and who's in the Senate to consider those nominations. Thank you so much, Jenny. We're out of time for now, but we'll continue this conversation on the next edition of Outcasting. Thanks, Lucas. Pleasure being with you. That's it for this ninth part of our series on the conflict between equality for LGBTQ people and those who cite religious liberty to justify discriminating against us. If you've missed any part of this series, it's available on our website, outcastingmedia.org. This program has been produced by the Outcasting team. 
including youth participants Lucas, Sarah, Lil, Justin, Brian, and me, Chris. Our executive producer is Mark Sofis. Outcasting is produced in New York by Media for the Public Good. More information is available at outcastingmedia.org. You'll find information about the show, listen links for all Outcasting content, and the podcast link. You can also find Outcasting on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and other major podcast platforms. And connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Outcasting Media. If you're having trouble, whether it's at home or school, or just with yourself, call the Trevor Project hotline at 866-488-7386 or visit them online at thetrevorproject.org. The Trevor Project is an organization dedicated to LGBTQ youth suicide prevention. Call them if you have a problem. Seriously, don't be scared. They even have an online chat you can use if you don't want to talk on the phone. Being different isn't a reason to hate or hurt yourself. All right, go get a piece of paper. I'll say it one more time. 866-488-7386 or online at thetrevorproject.org. You can also find a link on our site, outcastingmedia.org, under Outcasting, LGBTQ Resources. I'm Chris. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this edition of Outcasting, please make your tax-deductible contribution today. We can't do programs like this without your support. To make your donation, please visit us at outcastingmedia.org and click on support. And connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Outcasting Media. Thanks.